the Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Welcome to this week's episode of the Collective Whisper Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Kay, and you're very welcome to this show. We have a great guest for you this evening. And before we go and tell you who the guest is, we would just like to remind you, if you could please follow and subscribe to the show and help us out because we are a small podcast, growing, 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 but we need your help. So we appreciate that very much. Thank you. Okay, I'd like to welcome this week's guest, Sonia McCary. Born in Ireland of Italian descent, Sonia McCurry began appearing in television commercials in Dublin at the age of 18, and her acting debut was in the Irish hit show The Clinic, followed by a recurring role on Showtime's The Tudors. She now resides in Los Angeles and has built on the success she's achieved as a stage and screen actress in Ireland, playing a variety of roles including a feature in the 10-time Oscar-nominated Silently with the Artist. The title role of Mayor Magdalene for the Hallmark Channel, an Italian spy Antonia, for the hit show Choke on NBC, Francesca in the TV series Caravaggio and My Mother, the Pope. Other credits include the lead role of Sarah in an apocalyptic science fiction movie entitled Protocol alongside Eric Lang and Ava Clark, a 1930s stage actress driven by the pressure of achieving and losing fame in Behind the Curtain, a film noir homage and festival favourite. In Kiss the Devil, a fantasy thriller, Sonia stars as Vanessa alongside Doug Jones and was nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Utah Film Festival and won Best Supporting Actress at the Maverick Movie Awards. Just recently, Sonia booked a role in the hit American show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is due to air worldwide soon. Sonia is also a book narrator and has narrated several books for Penguin, Random House International. She is the author of The Actor's Passport, which is a go-to guide specifically geared for younger actors starting off in the business. But now on stage or set, she writes and is currently writing a six-part comedy series. Being part Italian, Sonia is also very passionate about La Cucina, Daliana, and is working on a book with her mother, Kira on Italian rustic cooking from the Lazio Valcomino region of southern Italy. She is also married to musician Colin Devon from the Devon in Spain, and they have two young children together, and they both live in LA with their respective careers. So welcome to the show, Sonia McCary. How are you? I am really well, Simon. How are you? Great. It's lovely to have you on. It's it's nice. I've I've uh, seen your work in in you know in in bits and pieces over the years. I've seen you on the Tudors and different things and stuff. But you know, it's nice and nice to get in touch with you and get you on the show and hear what you're doing right now with everything. How is life for LA in or in LA rather? I should say life in LA. Well, life in LA is always well. I was going to say adventurous. Life in LA is great. It's great. We. Uh, are blissfully happy we've been here for 10 years and we love it we love it we we call it home uh you know we're busy we've got the kids we're back working after the whole covid business um nonsense um the weather the sun is shining um and we love it we love it it's home you know, we live, we live out in Pasadena. It's a beautiful residential area and it's great for, for kids. Uh, the kids love it. They're in the new school. We just moved out here um, in March this year. 
So, um, but we always loved Pasadena. So we're, we're thrilled that we're here, you know. Brilliant. That's really nice. How many years have you been in LA in total now? I think I always say 10 years, but that's a lie. It just, I always, <laughs> I just always say 10 years, but no, that's, it's not true. I would say I officially moved here in 2009, uh, but we've, you know, moved about quite a bit. Um, but uh, definitely a lot more than 10. I don't even want to do the math, really. <laughs> just, you know, time flies. Time flies. And, you know, it's funny because I've I've seen, you know, just from other podcasts and listening to other shows, you know, there's, there's a, quite a few people after so many years in L.A. kind of are moving to other places and say, oh, L.A. has become too much now and with the traffic and the pollution and everything and they're moving to other states. Do you find that a lot with people you know? Are they still around or people have moved? I do. I think um, because of COVID, really. You know, I think within the last year, particularly, um, I mean, this city now is back busy as 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 it's never been busier. It's it's as if COVID never existed. You know, um, but within uh, the last year, a lot of people have definitely moved to different states. Um, I find that a lot of people that my husband Colin works with you know, the musicians or those who are allowed to work from home and they have office jobs, particularly, they're happy to move out of uh, out of L.A. Um, because they can. And, and I, I mean, I think it's a great thing. It's the, the, the quality of life is a little different. You know, if I were to be stuck in traffic every day, I, I, I wouldn't like it. Luckily, I don't have to be. Uh, but it is pretty taxing. It's the, the traffic is pretty insane in L.A. It's, it's insane. It's actually crazy, isn't it, that, you know, for a city with so much traffic and obviously, you know, a bad history of um, pollution and everything, that even up to this day, I know Elon Musk and them have kind of looked at the prospect of doing underground systems, but it's amazing that the transport system itself is not great in L.A. and you kind of have to have a car, don't you? You have to have a car. I mean, the city is so spread out. You have to have to have a car. There's no other way around it. And I don't particularly um, advise the public transportation, especially after 6 p.m. in the evening. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's not something I would, you know, sort of jump on a bus or a train with the kids. No, it's not something I would do. I've uh, been there, done that, and it's a little, little sketchy. Pre-kids, you know, when I first right. moved here, obviously I wasn't driving straight away. And um, it took a little getting used to uh, the public transportation, which is, isn't that great in itself because you're doing a lot of walking. You're getting on a bus, then walking, getting on a train. And it's it's utter ridiculous. You spend a day getting to your destination and then, you know, you're home late at night because the public transportation is, is god awful. Um, however... Uh, you know, then you start driving and you need to get used to the highways and it's aggressive. You know, there are six lanes and everyone's going at a certain speed. Just get in there and, and get with it. You know, uh, it's pretty intense. Um, I can imagine, like I've I've obviously heard in the past, you know, people talking about the, the bus system and, you know, it can be a bit ropey in the evenings and stuff. But I wasn't sure about the train. The train can be quite risky. It depends where you're going as well, does it? Yeah, I mean, downtown particularly, uh, I haven't been on public transportation in years, Simon, in years. But sadly, there's a lot of 
homelessness, you know, in, in LA and, and they're all on the buses, they're all in the public transportation. So, you know, it, it's sad and, uh, but you can understand it's not, it's not, you know, you wouldn't be taking your four year old or your seven year old on the on public transportation at night. So you have to drive. You have to drive. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because you know, I, I think the last I, I was in LA in 2019, and uh, yeah, you do notice there's a lot of homelessness, and you know, I, I, and you you have that in a lot of those cities in the West Coast, particularly. I know they're in other cities, you know, in Philadelphia and New York, but I think you notice it more in Los Angeles or Las Vegas or San Francisco, you know, because you have this, you know, a really good climate and. You know, you have see everybody on Venice Beach enjoying themselves and then you drive through the streets and you see under the bridges, you see all the homeless people and you're kind of like, wow, OK, there's a lot here under this one bridge in particular. And then you find others. So it's something I think, obviously, that, you know, over time, you hope they will tackle. But it's a, it's an issue that's been there for quite a while, no? It's been, oh, my gosh, it's it's never been as bad as it is today. And there are hundreds of thousands of homeless people. It is primarily because of the climate the sun is shining yeah. so it's 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 easier for them but it is uh it's insane it's so so sad um and it hasn't gotten better you know and they say they're working on it but it hasn't gotten better it is one of the reasons why we moved to Pasadena as well we lived in a wonderful area close to Silver Lake and we had been there for about 10 years I'm sticking with 10 years all the time I don't know yeah. but we we were there for about 10 years and, um, you know, we loved it and we loved our neighbors. We loved the neighborhood. Um, now, the place was getting a bit smaller for us because we, we have the two kids, a boy and a girl. But the area was getting, uh, was slightly changing. And the homelessness, sadly, was was just getting more and more uh, intense. So we decided it was, it was the best option was just to move, you know. Do you think as well, you know, is it kind of like that, whole idea of the gold rush in in the in alaska and yukon years and years ago where everybody went looking to get rich and to you know be successful but of course there's only room for so many successful people and there's only so many places so that kind of ideology i kind of look at los angeles and you know mm. hollywood there's probably a lot of homeless people that moved out to the west coast to follow a dream and then got caught up in the world of drugs or just, you know, not being able to pay bills and so on. Do you, do you think that's a lot to do with it, the whole Hollywood dream? It's interesting. I, I don't really know if that's the case. I mean, if, firstly, that Hollywood dream, you know, people are so uh, aware and conscious of, oh, Hollywood, bright lights, you know, you go there and you become famous. It's so unrealistic. It's first, it's unrealistic. Uh, and uh, it, it just doesn't happen. You know, um, it does to some a very small amount of people where they might have overnight success. That is incredibly rare. But, uh, you know, when you hear of an actor or you hear of someone who's in this amazing show and is a wonderful actor, chances are they've been working for years and years and they've been working their butts off. Now, in terms of the homelessness, I would say, sure, there's a percentage of the homeless people that that uh, are actors or were actors and they were seeking, you know, fame and fortune. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what percentage of that would be uh, the case, but if that would be the case. However, um, it's just sad. I mean, you see you see a lot of young 
families as well, you know, and and uh, a mixture of people, you know, within within the streets. And it's pretty intense. It's pretty insane. Uh, and I do think the climate has a lot to to do. It has, has is the reason behind them being in Los Angeles. In fact, I think no, this is true. There are more homeless people in the state of California than any other state in the U.S. And they do say it's primarily because of the weather, you know? Yeah. And, you know, somebody said this to me once, and it's a crazy thing, too, isn't it? They said, you know, obviously in California, you have these beautiful parks and, you know, Sequoia and Yosemite and all of these beautiful places. And and yes, you know, you don't get people moving to natural parks to live off the land, but you get people moving to cities to live you know, to try and follow a dream or to have it. And then they try and live off the land of the city. And it's very difficult to do because you, you obviously when you're in the wild or something, you can hunt animals and you can, you know, you can sustain yourself maybe with through nature. But in the city, you need cash and you need money. And, you know, I can imagine L.A. is quite expensive for people to live in. So unless you get to a certain standard of living, you either have to leave or, as you said, you go down that path of ending up homeless, don't you? Yeah. I mean, there's uh, you hear countless stories every day of, of people wanting to make a living in L.A., uh, you know, in Los Angeles. And it is incredibly expensive, uh, especially a lot of these young actors that are waiting tables and they can't make ends meet and they're trying to pay rent, let alone put food on the table. Sadly, after a year, they they are on a flight back home to their mammy, you know? Um, but those who leave, there are a, a bunch of people landing. As much as there are people leaving, there's still, there's a flow, there's constant flow <laughs> of people coming and going. And um, it is really tough for young actors, you know, uh, to, to, to make ends meet in this town. And it is pretty expensive. It is absolutely. The cost of living here is, is crazy. I mean, New York is the same, but in New York, you, you don't, you don't need to drive, you know, however, rent is astronomical and you're living in a tiny box, you know, um, in New York City, but, um, yeah, I think it's tough. Yeah, it's different. It's, I suppose, really the thing that for musicians and actors, Hollywood kind of was the place to go in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, still is obviously for actors and everything. Musicians are not so sure. It's kind of changed a little bit, but there's so much of a network there as well that, you know, you can work with people and you have the film industry, obviously, with sync and license and music. So there's still a big playground for musicians there but i think in new york it's kind of a thing when you go there um you have to work hard in different types of jobs and it's a different type of path to success isn't it yeah i think i actually moved to new york when i was 18 and it's definitely a different type of city the energy is different i love new york i i i actually love new york more than la to be honest um and I would live there if I could. Obviously, with the kids, it would be tricky. However, um, it is a different animal, you know. And I don't know what it would be like today to embark on an acting career in New York. It, New York is also very theatrically based as well in terms of stage. You know, L.A. is more TV and film. Um, I would say it's equally as competitive. Um, 
you know, who knows? I mean, I was 18. It was a long time ago when I was there and I was studying and I was working and I was, it was actually one of the best times of my life. <laughs> well, before we get on to, let's say, talking about New York and when you went there, uh, tell us, let's go back a little bit, obviously, to when you were young. And, and so you were, you were born in Dublin, yes, and you grew up in Dublin, but your, your parents and your family, obviously, are Italian descent. So tell us a little about that story. Like, is it, you know, are they first, second generation or what, what's the story? They're first generation, but my, I was born in Dublin and I grew up in Cork City, actually. I moved to okay. Cork. I moved to Cork when I was one, and I was there. I, I did my leaving cert in Cork City. I was fifteen. When I was just fifteen when I did my leaving cert, and then we had moved up to Dublin when I was not even sixteen, actually, because I remember taking the train down to Cork to get my leaving cert results, and I was I was still fifteen, which is completely nuts. <laughs> yeah, uh, but my parents are Italian, and I grew up you know, uh, in Cork City, living in Italian culture, uh, having the best of both worlds and spending my winters in Ireland and my summers in Italy with my grandparents and my family. And and it was just an amazing childhood, you know, lovely, lovely childhood. And my family are, you know, we're Italian, but we're very much Irish as well. You know, it's, it's, we, we, I always say Irish, Italian blood, Irish heart. <laughs> right, That's right. Very, and very it's, um, it's, uh, I mean, nowadays in Ireland, you know, it's so much more multicultural and you'll see obviously, you know, families from Nigeria, families from Spain, every kind of family. And, you know, maybe the parents are Spanish descent or Nigerian descent or Italian and the kids grow up with both cultures, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, for for you guys, obviously growing up in that Italian background um, in Cork City, was there a lot of Italians around? And you know, were your parents trying to keep the traditions alive? Yeah, well, we we tried to keep the tradition alive by moving up to Dublin because there were a lot more Italians in Dublin. You know, okay. family and friends, but you know, very very few Italians in Cork City, and it was. Uh, it's interesting, actually, because I remember, I do remember growing up in school, I was always considered the Italian girl. But in Italy, and in Italy, I was always considered the Irish girl. So you'd almost feel like, you know, you don't belong anywhere. <laughs> it's like you're out halfway on the boat. You know. <laughs> but hey. <laughs> What part of Italy are, are your family or your parents from originally? In between Rome and Naples. Um, okay. Yeah, beautiful part of the world. And uh, I miss it. I miss it so much. Um, so literally in between Rome and Naples, uh, not too far from the Amalfi Coast, uh, which is utterly breathtaking, you know. Wow. Um, yeah. And I used to go every year, you know, obviously being in L.A., when we travel, we tend to go back to Ireland uh, a lot more than anywhere else because we're catching up with family and all of that stuff. So, but um, yeah, I look forward to bringing the kids to Rome. So that's going to be that'll be a nice adventure. That'll be nice. Yeah, the, the, I'm sure. Yeah, because I think as well, you know, for for people that you know are of dual descent, you know, or that kind of dual citizenship, I suppose you could call it. It's it's quite interesting because you have that 
culture and heritage from both worlds. Now, also, obviously, on the negative side of that, you can also have kind of um, little bits of xenophobia or racism or, you know, people not understanding your culture. So did you have like any kind of challenges when you were younger because your family were Italian or, you know, did you feel that, you know, there was never a problem with that? There was never a problem as as, as far as I can remember. Um, you know, I, no, luckily. Thankfully, I never, never experienced any of that. And I was, I was always the quiet kid at the back of the classroom, observing more so than putting the hand up, you know, I was always that quiet girl at the back, just watching everybody. Um, and uh, I was always the youngest in class as well. So I was quite shy, you know, I was very shy. Luckily, I never, never experienced any uh, racism you know, uh, I had my few friends and, um, no, it was, it was great. It was great. I mean, things are a little different today and I, I hope that we've all sort of moved on from that, you know, if anybody has experienced any of that, but you do find every time I go back to Ireland, of course, I see just, it's multicultural. I mean, you walk down the street and it is kind of amazing. It's pretty brilliant, you know, and, uh, even even looking at the casting, looking at the commercials, everyone is just different ethnicity, you know, and it's it's in, and they've got the Irish accent. It's brilliant. Yeah, that that's what that's for me. What's amazing, you know, when you watch, you know, whether it be you know crime dramas, love hate, keen, these kind of shows, or even you know Fair City and stuff, you see the diversity, and it's amazing, you know, obviously, and when you see even guests on the Late Late Toy Show. And, you know, you can see, obviously, they have a different heritage. It could be African, it could be, you know, Scandinavian, it could be German. But then they have the really strong Irish accent. And I think it's a lovely thing. I mean, to have that mixture, you know, it's kind of like years ago, I think there was an island in the Caribbean where there was so many Irish expats, the diaspora went and the, a lot of the people on the island had Irish accents because of that. They learned their English from the Irish. So I think it's really interesting when you see now the multiculturalism in Ireland and uh, and the talent as well. For me, that's one thing I'm kind of watching a lot and observing is the, the amount of new artists and singers that are coming out of Ireland that have other heritage and other backgrounds, but that are blending it with Irish music and Irish rap and hip hop and everything. And it's producing this really original thing. And I, for me, that's what's the exciting part. You know, that's the, I think like with the acting world, it's great and there's nice to see all the things, but I find with the music world now, that's the more interesting part because of what they're producing, you know. How interesting, you know, and I would be sort of more aware of the acting world, yeah. especially from Ireland, and the wealth of talent is through the roof, you know. Uh, and I think Ireland and the UK, you know, especially in the States, uh, we're known for being such great actors. You know, we, we've studied and we've gone to the great schools and we've done the work on the stage and, you know, we're... We're known for that, uh, particularly. But in terms of musicians, um, yeah, I think that's so interesting just to have that diversity and, and for them to. Um, and I think I, Colin would definitely be far more aware of, of that world than I am, you know. Um, but I'm a little sort of, you know, I can't really comment on the whole music 
element to the, especially the new people coming up. You hear of people reading articles and you're listening to stuff on the radio and you're like, who who are they? And, who, you know, there's new people coming up. For me, like I do a segment every week on the podcast where it's like artist of the week. And I'm I'm kind of primarily focused on Irish artists and stuff. But when I start kind of looking and delving and seeing new singles and new people out and you kind of look and go, OK, you know, there's the Irish artists there and stuff. But then there's the Irish artists with, you know, different backgrounds and different heritages and the music you're producing. And you're kind of really surprised. And you think you've seen you think there's an Irish type of music and then you go, wow, this is the future of the Irish music like these kids coming out with like Irish hip hop and coming out with um and you know the thing about it is uh, other artists have tried the whole Irish hip hop thing and because they're predominantly Irish it works a little bit but maybe not as well but then when you get people especially with african heritage who have a different type of rhythm and maybe grew up with a different type of music and they mix it with the Western music and mix it with the hip hop and their influences. And it produces a totally different thing, which is very unique. You know, I can see that. Yeah. How interesting. Uh, we actually were watching the late, late show the other night and there were two young guys rapping. That's right. They were absolutely brilliant. But I did mention to Colin, uh, I said to him, do you notice the diversity with all these kids? Yeah. Irish but they all they're so talented and they're just no inhibitions and they're you know there was just so they were amazing to watch uh but yeah you've got an array of talent and and just from different backgrounds but yet they have the Irish accent uh but the two young lads rapping was it was quite funny they were funny they were they were funny and and you know that moment when the guy came on singing the opera and the young guy behind him making the faces I I was saying to my wife I said He's stealing the show there. That's going to be the meme of the week, you know, his face. You're so right, because we, we actually played that back. My kids were laughing their heads off. And we I said to Colin, <laughs> there's always a moment in the Late Late Show where someone yeah. steals the show. And that was, that, was the t- that was the moment. Yeah, it was very special. That was a lovely moment because obviously, you know, him getting the music production equipment and, you know, it was a really nice moment. And you could see how much it meant to him. But... That's it. That that's the future, isn't it? That's you know, like kids discovering music, or you know, and it being a comical moment, and you can make memes out of it. But the great thing is, those kids when they get a leg up, who knows what they can become? And you know, it's great for them to look back and say, "Oh, the late late show helped me," or whoever helped me. So I, I think it's great. Yeah, and, and you know, the late late show, I suppose, can get a lot of flack for its different types of guests, and you know, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's rubbish. But the toy show kind of usually delivers. Some some years it's better than others uh, because of the set and the concept and the theme. But I mean, when it comes to the kids and just the whole kind of uh, originality and just they are who they are, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. We love it. We love it, I and mean, we we have it on the player here. We watch it every year. Um, but you know, the, the, we, we, it's a tradition for us to watch it and the kids now they're at that age where they're so into it, you know, um, but I will admit there are tears flowing as well, you know, that moment when that kid got all his gear and you could see it in his face, just the, the, the shock of it, but he was so, you know, he was so grateful. And you see how much it meant to him. Uh, you know, Colin's looking at me and I'm, you know, tears are <laughs> yeah, yeah. tears are flowing, you know, and it's it's heartwarming and it's just he's 
he's great with the children as well you know he's yeah no it's a, it's a lovely moment and and it's those kind of moments you can see when when kids you know just like are truly authentic and and it's you know it's oh how old are your kids now so evie is seven and okay. leo is leo evie's in school i was i was up at 6 a.m. I brought it to school. Leo is downstairs and he's a little sick today. So he was delighted. Oh, poor thing. And he's going to be five tomorrow. Oh, really nice. Wish him a happy birthday. Yeah. That's so nice. That's lovely. <laughs> and so for you, obviously, living in L.A. and you said you get home sometimes and you're home last year during COVID. Um, is it is it harder, you know, like obviously to get home and do you are, are you doing lots of Zoom calls with the family? Because most of your family are in Dublin or are they in other parts of Europe as well? Or No, no most most of my family are in Dublin. And, uh, you know, I would talk to my mother every day, every other day, my dad and my brothers, my sister. So we chat a lot. Uh, there's a huge, uh, you know, the whole Zoom life. There's a there's a lot of Zooming going on in this house. And uh, I try and avoid, you know, zooming my family because we would be either on the facetime or just on a quick call you know just briefly chatting up uh catching up i should say um but uh you know we we do our best to get back you know we were there for quite a few months last year which was perfect because the kids were being homeschooled on zoom again back to the zoom and uh we decided to stay because it just gave them the freedom to run around and um, we were still living in the previous address. Um, so it was perfect. And it was just, it was the right decision to stay. And we were there until November. Uh, then this year we were over in Dublin during the summer. And now we're heading back for Christmas um, on the 14th. Um, so we try, we, we really do get back as often as we can and spend time with family and catch up and with Colin's dad and his his um, sister and his whole family. So it's, well, we love it. The kids love it. The kids absolutely love being back in Ireland because they know it's such a huge part of our life, you know, and they're very much, even though they were born in the States, they they know that it's who we are and Ireland is is our home and family, the kids, you know, the, the nieces and nephews, they absolutely spoil them. They dote on them and they look up to them and, you know, my kids look up to them and they just have the best time, you know. And do you have any, like, do you have any Italian relatives in the US? You know, I do. <laughs> Here's a funny story for you. Um, funny that you mentioned that. Uh, I have, you know, there there is some family uh, in New York and I believe in Washington that I've never met from my father's side. And uh, I have, there's a, there's a, I was recently on, it's sunny in Philadelphia. And um, I'm I'm wondering why you're asking me this. Maybe you read something. Anyway, my. No, no, no. I'm just thinking because obviously there's so many Italians in New York and, you know, obviously a lot of people from the home country, yes. you know, decide to, because there's a lot of immigration, much like Ireland, you know, yeah. where you have the Italians and the Irish and the Polish in Absolutely. New York. So yeah. I'm thinking there's probably somebody maybe. There, there is. And there is. And, and he's actually quite a well-known actor. So, um, oh. yes, yes. So 
I was uh, working on it sunny in Philadelphia not too long ago. Danny DeVito, of course, is in mm-hmm. sunny, yeah. you know, and I had met him, uh, met him actually a couple of years back, uh, about three, four years ago, and we had a brief chat. And a lovely man, very funny, an absolute gentleman, and just hilarious. He's absolutely hilarious. And so we chatted, but um, I walked away. It was a very brief chat. We were uh, at we were on um, uh, Extra Extra, which is a which is a sort of like an entertainment show, and he happened to be there. And I went up to him and I said hi, and we chatted about what he was doing and what I was doing. And then when I walked away. I was kind of kicking myself because I really wanted to tell him that there was a chance we were related. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I never did. So okay. I, I remember posting a photo of myself and Danny DeVito and the Italians in Dublin were commenting saying, you know, he's your relation. Do you know he's your cousin? Or he, really? Uh, I never, I never really, um, I, I never really got, got into it, you know? So, this year, uh, September, I, I auditioned for the show, and they were supposed to shoot it in Ireland. Actually, because of COVID, it was it, they couldn't do it. So, so, and I'm kind of thankful for that because I wouldn't have been cast. They would have obviously, you know, cast. Yeah, they would have looked for maybe someone in Ireland. In Ireland, yeah. So, so I auditioned, and then I was put on, um, uh, you know, on hold or pinned, as they call it. And you're waiting for the week to find the news, hear the news, and then you get cast, and then you go through the motion of, you know, getting ready and all that stuff. And I rang my dad and I said, Can you tell me exactly how we're related to Danny DeVito? And he explained it to me. And I said, Fine, got it. Okay. So on the first day that I was working on set, I, on my lunch break, I walked out of my trailer and I knocked on his door. I knocked on his door and uh, this lady came out and I said, oh, hi, I'm Sonia. I'm working, you know, uh, today and da, 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 da. I'd love to say hi to Danny. And she said, oh, he's on the phone and, uh, you know, uh, come back after lunch. And I said, sure, OK. So and I did explain to her she did. It was his PA and she wanted to know, of course, she wanted to know why I wanted to talk to Danny. And I explained it to her and she said, okay. And she figured, well, if she's working on the set and she's an actor and, you know, I'll pass on the information. And she said, come back. So after lunch, uh, she saw me coming out of my trailer and she was like, oh, come, come, come. He wants to say hi. And I could hear him say, is she here? Is she here? So he comes out and I literally said, "Uh, Danny, hi. Uh, I said, I just wanted to say hello. I said, I'm working today uh, on It's Sunny. So far, I've had an amazing day. I can't wait for tomorrow. And I just wanted to introduce myself. As much as I'm Irish, I'm very much Italian. And my my grandmother's sister married a DeVito. And I basically explained the the history. The connection. And the, the connection. The connection. And he looked at me and I said, well, the DeVitos had moved to Belfast. They had moved to Limerick. And then... They moved to O'Connell. They moved. They were in the amusements business, and we both said on O'Connell Street. And he looked at oh. me. He looked. We both said O'Connell Street because they did. They moved to O'Connell Street, and they were in the amusements uh, business there. And he looked at me, and he said, "You're my cousin." <laughs> and I said, "I know it's crazy, 
But, you know, uh, he's like, come in, come in, come in. So we chatted uh, for a long time. And I said, listen, this has been amazing. And I would have regretted, you know, not talking to you. And, you know, because I was working with the rest of the cast, not him. So I was working with Charlie Day and then the, and the rest of the cast. And my scenes weren't with him. And I wanted to talk to him. So I said, I, I'm glad I got the opportunity. And uh, he, I said, look, I'll let you go. I know you have a busy day ahead. And he was like, oh, no, 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 take my number. And we took a photo. And it was just for me, uh, it was amazing. It was just kind of like the, the cherry on the, you know, the whole experience. It was a, It was a dream, an absolute dream experience. And he's lovely. He's absolutely lovely. Yeah, I, you know, he comes across as a lovely guy. And, you know, of course, when when you're a huge Hollywood star like that, I'm sure when he's on set, um, you know, lots of people want to talk to him, but not everybody is his cousin, you know. So that's that's a, a claim to fame. But it is difficult, isn't it? Because when, when you're on those sets and you're trying to, you know, you don't want to be fake. You want to be totally genuine, but you want to introduce yourself. But it's quite difficult, isn't it? And sometimes you need an in. You need something to get the attention, you know, like to say, hi, I'm whatever. And um, would you mind, you know, talking yeah. to me and can we have a chat? And they probably get that request so many times. So, you know, it was good that it worked out that way for you. I, I, I totally know what you mean. And I think that the fact that I was, you know, coming out of my trailer and they knew she's just not a random person, you know, uh, off of the street, sort of coming in, wanting to talk to him. Yeah. And we were, we were in the studio and, you know, there weren't many productions working that day because of COVID. There were only three productions. So they, they, there's a clique of people and they know you're there and you're a part of what's going on and you're collaborating with everybody. So I did have an in and, uh, and I was respectful about it. You know, I went about it in a, in a nice polite way. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure these people are completely just day in, day out, you know, bombarded with, hi, I want to say hi. And, you know, and introduce myself and, you know, and asking for stuff and, you know, just trying to, get their push their way in i suppose you know um but uh yeah yeah it's interesting but no it was that's really great that's really great so so obviously when looking back then when you were on about obviously the the vetoes amusements on o'connell streets and everything what was it like growing up you know you you said you moved when you were 15 so was there a big difference once you went from cork to dublin and you met a lot more italian teenagers and you know, did your life change dramatically because of the, obviously, the, the richer culture of Italian people living? I don't want to say richer as in better, but I mean, there was more Italians living in Dublin. So you probably came up and were entrenched more within the Italian culture in Dublin, no? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, a lot of our families are, you know, based in Dublin, both my mother and my father's side. So, so we had moved... Up to Dublin, I was just 16. There's a lot more activity. There's a lot more visiting family and friends. And at that point, I had started, you know, acting in college and I was preparing myself for leaving for New York. But there was that that time where you're in Dublin town, you're in Dublin city and it's, you know, it's far bigger than Cork and you're just involved more and you you know there's a, there's a, there's definitely a lot more going on and you're surrounded by a lot more family as well so it definitely did change the dynamic and the, and the, the 
the you know the day-to-day living you know um and we were far we loved cork we absolutely loved cork but moving to dublin was definitely the best decision for us you know um just in terms of lifestyle and being close to those that you love and then we were growing up so we were involved in you know we had finished i was going to say high school but finished secondary school and lives were changing you know we were becoming adults myself and 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 my siblings you know we were all going different directions and doing different things um but dublin was uh yeah definitely the the, the best decision uh and i haven't I haven't been back to Cork much, to be honest, and I'd love to love to visit. Um, but that's also a part of my upbringing, and you know, and I I love it. You know, I love having the the, the just the, that experience. You know, of being in Cork and then moving to Dublin, and of course, I moved to New York not too long after. So uh, yeah, you you went yeah. you went from um, what's really funny you went from one <laughs> capital city. Yeah. To, to another capital yeah. city, yeah. to another capital. Yeah. I'm I'm saying that jokingly because in Cork, you mm. know, they'll always say this is the real capital. Cork is beautiful, but yeah, I did, didn't I? Uh, and I moved to to New York because I felt, and it's funny because a lot of actors, I've had I've had people ask me, why didn't you move to London as an actor? You people generally just take that next step and go to London because it's closer to home, and you know, and. It just didn't appeal to me in a sense, and I, um, I well, as soon as I got to New York, I applied for the HB Studios, uh, the Herbert Berghoff, and I got in. And to me, that was that was it. I was in, and I thought, right, I'm staying here now, um, because it was a difficult, you know, acting school to get in. In and um, the Uta Hagen was the HP studios in New York. And she, uh, God, it was, it was such a huge awakening for me when I think about it as much as, as I was very young, I walked into this acting studio and I knew I loved acting so much, but it, I had just developed a real love and respect for the art and craft of acting and you know i'm i'm in with my tribe i'm in with you know uh, like-minded people and and it was an amazing environment and i thought i'm bloody staying here and new york of course is incredible you know and and you had you know previous to that training obviously you had trained in the gacy school of acting in dublin hadn't you yes i i worked with patrick sutton i had also worked uh in the dublin acting um academy which i don't believe it's there any longer um, but as soon as I moved to Dublin, I was involved in a lot of TV commercials. And that's kind of how I started. You know, I, I started working on a lot of ads, commercials for, for the telly. And then I studied and studied, uh, moved to New York. I was involved in the HB studios there. I was doing a lot of musicals, a lot of stage work. Um, and then I had moved back to Dublin and then I started you know, I thought, why, why I need a job now? And I had worked on many different kinds of jobs, but acting was always there. Acting was always, you know, in the background. And then the tutors came along. And Yeah. Can I ask you actually there? That, that's quite interesting because so, you know, for a lot of actors, 
you know, when they're they're waiting for a big part or, you know, and they can be in between jobs. So for you, you know, especially when you were younger and you were, you know, do, do involved in that acting world, what kind of jobs did you fall back in and out of? Did you have a profession that you said, this is when I'm not acting, this is what I do? No, there's no other profession. I'm really not qualified to do anything else. <laughs> okay. So true story, you know, um, I, and, you know, I had done my leaving cert at 15, which is completely nuts. And wow. I literally passed by the skin of my teeth. But there was never another plan. You see, there was, I had no plan B. And when I started studying acting, I knew I loved it so much. And I thought, I really need to make this work somehow. And the other jobs that I had was working for family you know, working with my with my brother or with my mom. And then uh, I also worked in a club uh, as a hostess manageress called Reynards. And I was there for a couple of years. Oh, Reynards, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's how I met my husband. Uh, so, yeah, I was always involved. I was actually, when I think about it, God, I've, I've had a million and one jobs, which most actors do. Uh, I was also freelance, uh, working as a, not a journalist really as such, but interviewing, you know, uh, high profile celebrities in town and doing photo shoots and doing all kinds of different things like that with different publications um yeah so so uh listen there was always something going on but after Reynards that's kind of when I decided well the tutors came actually and that was the clinic actually was way before that but shortly after the tutors uh I had decided right you know what's my next step and I had come to LA for an event and it was um I was invited to this um it was a cinema a cinematheque award given to George Clooney, and I was invited through friends of mine, and we were here for a week, and I managed to organize meetings, you know, with agents and managers, and just thought I'd, you know, while I'm here, why not see see what it's like and and just experience what it's like to be interviewed, you know, by or just to have that, you know, experience and see if anything comes out of it, you know. Um, and I just, I got on well and I met lovely people and I was here for the week and I just absolutely loved it. And I went back home and I said to Colin, fancy moving to L.A.? And he, he said, yeah, let's do it. Wow. Yeah, because because obviously um, with with Colin at that time, I think that, that, that because you were in the Tudors in like 2007 or yeah. so, wasn't it? Around that time. So. So when you when when you were playing Manuela that that character, um, but when that was kind of wrapping up or finishing, and you were thinking, okay, I want to maybe go to LA at that time. There was Colin was on a bit of a hiatus from the Devlins. Then was it? He was actually in Montreal. Uh, he was in Montreal recording a Colin Devlin record. Oh right. And uh, he was in Montreal for. I mean, I had actually moved to LA. I was here for quite a few months before he officially moved because he was working with Pierre Marchand, his producer in Montreal, and he was there for you know a couple of months, and then and then he came and he joined me in LA. Um, yeah, that's what that's what happened. Um, not too long after the tutors, yeah. So I was here and I was sort of you know trying to. Um, it's interesting actually because 
it feels like such a long time ago. But what I did as soon as I landed in LA, I thought, right, how can I be involved in the industry, you know, to some capacity? Obviously, I wanted to work, you know, straight away. And I didn't want to put myself in a restaurant or a bar because I had done all that. And I didn't want to go down. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just wanted to be involved, uh, you know, within the the TV and film industry. And I started working as a stand-in for actors. And I did that for quite a few years, actually. It was basically like a stand-in at the age, or you, if they were sick or something happened, was that it kind of like that? No, so a stand-in is basically like, um, a stand-in is, is a substitute for an actor, but it's for technical purposes, uh, such as lighting. Oh, I understand. Yes, yeah, so such as lighting and camera placement, but it's it's kind of more than that. You're setting up the shot, you're taking notes on the actor, every action direction that's given to you, you need to relay it back to them. And then when you're watching them work, you have to learn how they behave, how they stand, how they talk, because you're going to set up the next shot. And it's interesting because um, in the rare case that the actor is stuck in hair and makeup, you're thrown in rehearsal and you're given the sides, you're given the actor's lines and you could be rehearsing with the actual cast, you know, and I did this for years and I absolutely loved it. I still did. So it's, it's more, it's kind of to get the position of the actors for the shot and to work out the angles. And yeah, yeah. It, it's while the other actor, while the main actor can't do it. Well, yeah, because usually, you know, when I was working on It's Sunny there, I had a stand-in for me to set up the shot while I'm getting ready to shoot. So it's purely for technical purposes and also, you know, but uh, I mean, I stood in for uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus for months. Uh, I mean, and the thing is, I don't look like any of these people, but I mean, I stood in for J-Lo. I don't look like J-Lo. I stood in for Megan Ori on Intelligence. You're your own J-Lo. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're an Italian J-Lo. I'm the Italian J-Lo. I'll take that. Um, <laughs> if I look like her at 50, I'll be happy. But, um, and you know, I stood in for years and I absolutely loved it because talk about learning on the job, you know, and I thought, well, this is clever because you know, you're learning the vernacular of, of being on a set and you're you're, yeah. you're mixed in with, with these people who are collaborating and they're all working to, you know, on, with the same goal. And uh, the environment is amazing. The, the people are, you know, actors and cast crew whom I absolutely love to be sort of involved in. And it was a great way to learn. It was a really, really an experience, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and also, I mean, as well as like literally putting you in the position of those actors, you're in another position where you're networking and you're introducing yourself to directors and producers and casting agents, and you know maybe one of them can see you as a stand-in and go, you know, she'd be great for this other feature we're working on. You know, I'm sure that's happened. Never, it's never happened to me. What happened to me was as much as it was learning on the job. You're there to do a job. You know, and they're more focused on getting the work done. Uh, however, yes, you are creating relationships. I mean, I was always on time. I knew everybody's name. I was polite. When they called me on set, I was there. I did everything I had to do. I was, you know, I, I would just literally 
step up to the plate, do it and spend 12 hours on set, five days a week. That was my job and I loved it. But I created relationships in the sense that I was standing in for actors and I looked nothing like them. I would be either on an apple box because they were taller than me or I would be in flats because, you know, uh, right? So I sometimes they would even put a blonde wig on me. And a stand-in is meant to generally look a little bit like the actor, purely for camera purposes, skin tone and all that stuff. But I had created great relationships and friendships with, with these people that were hiring me, so they would give me all the jobs. Did you ever do a stand-in for Monica Bellucci? I would, no, but I, I would... Because you, I, I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> you have the Italian kind of look, so maybe they'd be like, she'd be perfect to stand-in for Monica. Yes, I would... I'd I sound like I know her, don't I? I would rather... Yes, you do. Do you have her number? I would rather have no. her career. <laughs> I would rather have her career. My days, my days of standing in are done, you know? So uh, here's to here's to having... Monica's career so she needs to yeah of, of course of course <laughs> yeah so so obviously then I mean you know you moved on to you know I know you were in Glee and then you were in Chuck and you know all these kind of scenes so when you when you did that um, scene in Chuck or when you were Antonia you know did they specifically look for an Italian actress that spoke Italian so when I when I read for Chuck um, this, the, the, these were the days where you're actually going into the room, you know, because now it's all you're, you're, you know, you're taping. There's no auditioning any longer, you know. Who knows when we get back in the room? However, you know, this was when I was in the room, and uh, the role's Italian, of course. The dialogue is in Italian, so I make it. I make it my job to walk in Italian. So you know, uh, and you're talking with a bit of an accent. Obviously, the Irishness is gone, you know. Yes. There's no hint of Irish. And you're walking in, you play the whole Italian thing because they're looking for an Italian character. And uh, surely there are plenty of Americans that can put that on. But I played the whole authentic, you know, Italian uh, background and everything. And, and it worked in my favor. And yeah, that's it. However, on set, it was hilarious because... When I had finished the job and I was, you know, wrapping up, I was chatting away and I had such an amazing experience on that set. It was, it was amazing. Um, I remember chatting when they were like, where are you from exactly? And I said, uh, you know, I was like, oh God, um, I said, well, I'm Italian, you know, and they were like, oh, I, I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm Irish, Italian, Italian, Irish. And they were like, wow, so you're, you were born in Dublin, but yet your parents are Italian. And we thought, you know, which is interesting because, you know, you're and then you're you're chatting to others and you're putting on the American accent and it's it's all very exhausting. <laughs> it's very diverse. I mean, because for a lot of actors, you know, they they could have the look, you know, and obviously you have the Italian heritage, so you could go in and play the Italian part and, you know, speak in Italian and, but yet you can go in and do the, the Irish part as well. And they just think, Oh, it's a more exotic looking Irish girl. You know, uh, yes. And I, I've had people say to me, uh, you, you, you look so Irish, you know, and if I, if I'm reading 
uh, as Irish, then obviously I'll do the whole Irish thing and you're slating and you're doing your work and you have an Irish accent. Uh, and I've been told you look, you know, you're Irish. Uh, and then the Italian, of course, when you're playing the whole Italian thing, you know, what is what is an Irish typical look anyway, you know? Um, so I've never sort of I, I guess I'm I'm lucky I have that advantage. You know, let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, no, it's a good thing. Yeah. I, I think it's a good thing to have that diversity and especially where you can be cast, you know, because you have a distinctive look or, you know, they'll say, oh, and, and she can do that accent or she can, you know, and, and like as you showed in that scene, you know, as Antonio, Antonia, sorry, um, that you you can truly look Italian and you know people watching that wouldn't I I looked at that scene and I was like wow you know you wouldn't think you were from Ireland in that at all well you know I speak Italian and it's part of who I am so I, I guess I'm, I'm lucky in that sense and then when I go in for American stuff you know I walk in American I, I try and, yeah I, and it's really just you know the best thing because it would be you know advised obviously to walk in American, you know, when you're saying hello and there's very little chit chat anyway, when you're auditioning here, you just do the, the, the work and you, you leave. Um, it's not like back home. It's like, oh, Jesus, how are you? How was your night last night? Did you see this one on the telly? No. Um, but uh, yeah, I go in American and I don't uh, let on that uh, there's Irish or Italian in me because then they're, they're looking for it, you know, they're, they're like, you know, they're listening. It can, you know, if you give them too much information, it could change their decision making because, you know, they, the funny thing about, I suppose, casting agents is that they can be looking for a certain person. But then if they think, oh, there's a hint of Irishness or there's, you know, a hint of Italian or whatever, they can say, oh, no, we're not looking for that. So you have to be what they want at, in the casting, don't you? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, first of all, you would you it ha, you have to just give whatever's in your favor you know you you there's so little control of a lot of stuff anyway i mean generally you walk into a casting office it's cramped people sit in judgment you have a script thrown at you you've had so little time to work on the script there are no actors no props People are stand, sitting there staring at you, judging you, and you just you, you just hope for the best. You know, you do the work and you leave. There's so little control on many levels and uh, on, on a lot of stuff. So if I were to even, if I was reading for, you know, an American, an American character, I would, uh, would not try my best not to give away that I'm Irish or Italian. You know, because um, listen, you you can walk into a room and they've made their decision. They've made their decision ten seconds as as you walked in. You know, you look at you and go, "No, like she might be great, but she doesn't look like what we want for so and so." You know? Yeah. Well, I suppose you know they have their minds made up before they see the people. They're like, "This is who we want," and that's you know, unfortunately. There can be some great actors or actresses and they don't get the part because of the the people's opinions before they even see them. So that's kind of the way, isn't it? With that, that is a, lo a lot of the time that is the case. And I, what's important is that when you walk into a casting room or you're putting yourself on tape, they do have somebody in mind. So I, your job is to just create a very compelling, unique uh, character where they look at you and there are times where they'll say well you know what 
Simon is not what we wanted physically, but he gave such an incredible, unique performance. And I like his take on this character. Let's hire him. Yeah. Can we dress him up as Johnny Depp and get the Irishness out of him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Well, you know, I, 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 um, I won't be, I won't be going for any big Hollywood movies. You know, they can maybe they can use my voice. You know, with the the, the physical, the physical thing, I won't be. I'll be. They'd probably just put me as like a Boston slugger or something in one of these bars. You know. <laughs> So I'm fine with that. That's okay. If there's any big casting agents and you need like a an Irish looking Boston slugger, I can be that guy, you know. <laughs> um, and can I ask you then, when you did in 2016, you know, I know you've done a lot up to that as well, but the, the Kiss the Devil in the Dark and that kind of stuff. And, and when you won the awards and that kind of, um, for you, the when when you did that kind of movie, and you're, you know, you then your peers obviously recognize it and you got Best Supporting Actress in Utah and, and in the Maverick Movie Awards. That's a great thing, isn't it? Because it kind of makes you feel like, yeah, I'm on the right path. Like all that stuff is kind of, yeah, of course, you're, you're, it's like validation almost, right? But it's kind of, I don't want to say it's white noise. It's, yes, it's wonderful to be acknowledged you know, for the hard work that you've put in. Um, but that experience for me was interesting, challenging. Uh, but I met the best people. Uh, Doug Jones was, was the main character in that, in that film. And Doug Jones is, um, you know, he's just the king of prosthetics. He, he's, you know, he was the fish in, uh, what's the name of that film? I'm having a complete... Oh, yeah, the Pan's Labyrinth, is Pan's it? Pan's or... Labyrinth, he's done... So so Doug was incredible to work with, and he played the demon in that film, and then Damien Clark, who's on uh, CSI, and there was um, also uh, a few people from Game of Thrones. Uh, and it was such an... Exp- it was... It was it was tough, you know, the, the, the actual shoot itself. And I was in Utah, which is not familiar grounds, you know. Um, but, um, and then, of course, I went on to win awards. Um, so, yeah, it's nice. You know, you, you are being acknowledged for, for what you do. And, and it, it's, it's nice to win stuff. <laughs> Yeah, no, of course. Well, I mean, recognition, you know, I see the thing is, I suppose, with there are lots of different kinds of film festivals and independent festivals. And, you know, lots of them obviously give out awards. But, you know, one person might say, oh, well, I don't place as much value on that film festival as another. But I think when you're an actor coming up and, you know, you're and you're you're you get these awards, it 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 means you're on the right track because you're doing something that's getting attention. And, you know, it's kind of like brands. It's like Levi's or Coca-Cola or Apple or whatever. There are certain brands that have that kind of household name. And people might say, oh, well, now, if you won a Sundance Festival or Cannes Film Festival Award, maybe it's better. But I think those awards, the other ones on the way up from those festivals, mm. they're all valuable in their own right because they are your peers and there are people within the industry who are saying, no, we like this. This was a good film or a good short or whatever, you know. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it all leads to something, you know. I think the key is that you just keep going. You just keep working. And I, I think for me personally, where I get validation and I get sort of satisfaction is 
um, I just I always try and be the best that I can be with with whatever job is is thrown at me or not thrown at me, but when it, when when they do allow me allow me to act, that is, or even when you just get an audition or your agent is saying, look, you know, you're reading for this part. Um, and you get that feedback and you're pinned, you don't always get it because you don't always get it. So I have had opportunities, you know, countless opportunities where it just did not work out. You know, you're pinned and you're down to the last two or you've gone in and you're you're repeatedly having meetings with with people and you think it's you're so close, you're so close, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, you know, and then it doesn't. Um, Last year, pre-COVID, um, I was pinned for two shows and I was doing multiple tapes and they were both for recurring shows, uh, recurring roles for two shows. And you're thinking, you think one of them is going to work out and neither one of them worked out. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but the, the point to this story is that you're, you're, you're getting the satisfaction and the validation in knowing that you're doing something right. They're looking at you for a reason. They're asking more of you because they want to see more. They know you're capable. But there's a lot of things that, that have to connect for you to get it. So I don't take it personally. And that's so important for me. I've, I've actually, you know, I must have a really good disposition for this business. <laughs> because... <laughs> Either that or I, it's just like a built-in sanity. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't get overly stung. And I basically um, deal with rejection pretty pretty easily. I, uh, I, I think it's important because you're protecting yourself from being chipped away, so to speak. And I hate the word rejection. I think it's, it's such a stupid word because... There are many reasons why you don't get a job. You're not being rejected. They rejected you. I hate that word. Yeah, you're just not being, cho you haven't been chosen. That's all. That's it. And, and there's a huge part, if we're going to use the word rejection, there's a huge part of rejection in my life. I get rejected every, every week. <laughs> so, but you know, yeah. you keep going. Yeah, you just have to change the narrative and you have to say, I don't get chosen every week, but I get chosen some weeks. That's it. And, you know, I, I involve myself with many other aspects of the business, too, because I do a lot of narration. I do a lot of, you know, uh, for Penguin Random House and a few other companies. And that's another part of my job. Uh, and, you know, I, I try and when I don't get chosen for those roles that you really desperately would love and would sort of change the, the, the you know, um, uh, trajectory of your life let's say then i honestly i try and take the positive out of the negative because you move on you just there's always another opportunity knocking but you have to leave yourself open to that and that's what i'm doing you know um and it's interesting because you know my kids now are in, they're both officially in school you know they're in school for the for the long for the whole day and uh and i and i've had i mean listen my career has been such a roller coaster and then with the kids i allowed myself that time to take a break of course and now that i have the time and i'm available and i'm sort of you know um 
working away on stuff and there's quite a few things happening, which is great. But I always said, when the kids are in school and they're in for the full day, that's it. I'm working full time. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? Yeah, because you 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 have more time. And now I suppose, you know, you can do like that more kind of freelance stuff and you can do more voiceover stuff and you have you know if no one's bothering you you can do all of that things a question i want to ask you that i sometimes ask uh, you know actors that were mainly female actresses and this is a question that you know i know my haven't spoken to my own sister and she you know she's in her 40s and there's a kind of a, a hard road for female actresses when they reach a certain age because of the whole especially in hollywood mm. where you know tom cruise is 50 but his girlfriend's 26, you know. And unfortunately, if you're a Hollywood actress, when you get to a certain age, you nearly have to reestablish yourself in a certain way. I mean, you know, we've seen Helen Mirren mm -hmm. and, you know, obviously Monica Bellucci and these actresses and, you know, and they have great stature and some of them really beautiful. But it, it's very hard, isn't it, when you get to a certain age to 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 get those roles because they're being given to young starlets and, mm. you know, and, and the casting is totally off, you know, Indiana Jones is 70 and he has a 40 year old girlfriend in the movie. So it, it's not quite right. No, it is not quite right. And I think that hasn't changed either. Has it? They still, you still see a lot of that. And um, I think it, the way I look at it is this. Um, I have to embrace it, you know, you can't judge it. You can't fight it. You have to embrace it. And the roles that I go up for, um, I could be the young mum. You know, I could be the, the the wife or, you know, and uh, you just have to embrace it and you have to acknowledge that that is the way it is. Um, you know, and yes, you will see the Tom Cruise, Tom Cruises of the world and and the, and the wives are, much younger the girlfriends are much much younger uh that's hollywood isn't it i mean do they that's do, hollywood yeah, yeah do they do that everywhere anywhere else i don't know but um and i was i've I have, i've had this chat with many female actors and you really just have to acknowledge it and just embrace it and you are who you are whatever you go up for you go up for are the opportunities um the opportunities may be less that may be true you know um, but when they do come, you just, you know, be the best that you can be. And that's it. You know, just going a layer deeper into that conversation. It's kind of like when we talk about, you know, the whole machismo and, and you know, the, the, the balance of the sexes in the acting world mm -hmm. or in, in lots of other industries. A lot of the time, um, there are women involved in the decisions, of, like casting agents and so on, that could maybe cast, you know, older women or or more realistic age mm. women to the part. But because of the pressure of money and production and studios, those women as well have to make those decisions. Maybe they don't want to make them. Maybe they, they're thinking, well, this actress would be perfect because she's in her 40s and that's what the character should be. But we want this 26-year-old to play a 38-year-old, you know. Yes. So unfortunately, it's not just, we could just say it's coming from a male 
kind of point of view. But unfortunately, there's lots of female casting agents that are probably involved in that process as well through no fault of their own. Yeah, I agree. And I and it is through no fault of their own. I find that women are a lot more um, supportive nowadays, especially if, if, if the casting company or the production are all women. Uh, sadly, yes. I mean, are we blaming the men here? You know, it depends on a number of, of things, of course. Um, but uh, I do think things are slightly shifting in that respect, you know. Um, and I think I'd like to believe that things will get better. Um, but I see a lot of that still happening. And it's definitely sort of the male perspective, you know, um, coming in. It really depends, Simon. You know, there are a lot of production companies where women will only uh, encourage to work with women. You know, you'll find a lot of women uh, directors and women in casting, of course, uh, women producers, you know. um, So things are slightly shifting there, I will say. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. I mean, that that's a good thing. And let's let's talk about your, you know, the CAS, your your new kind of venture or your new um, initiative. Tell us about this. Well, um, so last year. Uh, we were obviously in a heavy lockdown in the States. And I had this idea that I wanted to put together. And I, uh, how this came about was um, through the Screen Actors Guild, SAG, which is our union. And they had um, this program. And it was called, it was basically an entrepreneurial program. And you had to apply. Basically, and there were 20 positions, 10 from Los Angeles, 10 from New York. And I had to basically produce an idea, um, a business idea. So I was given a week to put an application together and sent it through. And I got chosen as one of the one of the 20. And my idea was Creative Acting Studios. It's an online platform for primarily European actors, Irish actors, UK actors, um, any actor, to be honest. Um, And it's giving them access and an opportunity to work with coaches and casting directors, writers, producers, all sorts of different creatives from Los Angeles or New York, and it's all online. So when I got chosen as one of 20 this was March of last year. Uh, it was actually March, April, May, three months that I was working with these uh, coaches and these mentors through the Screen Actors Guild. And they were basically coaching me and they were helping me, you know. Um, and so they were guiding me while I developed this idea. And I just launched it last October. So um, it's been... Uh, it's been interesting. It's been challenging. <laughs> I, I, I will admit, yeah, it's been tough. Uh, but I'm starting to to see, uh, you know, I'm getting a lot of feedback and I'm getting some attention, you know, towards it. And it's all positive. And I've had a ton of actors say, God, this is, you know, what a great idea. And, you know, thank you for giving us access to this, you know, um, so I'm trying to spread the word. We we I launched last October. I had um, a wonderful coach 
from Los Angeles. His name is Anthony Mandel, and he's very well known. He teaches a lot of a lot of the stars, and he's a, an incredibly busy man. But he's a wonderful coach. So we had a weekend masterclass, and I had actors from Ireland, the UK, uh, some from Spain actually, and I had um, from New York, Texas, Colorado, and Toronto. I had a bunch of different actors uh, from different different uh, different cities, and um, and it was it was it was great. It kind of gave me sort of encouragement to keep going. So this weekend, um, I have, I believe over a hundred actors signed up um, wow yeah but what, what what is happening is um there's a lady called marcy laroff she's a casting director and yes yes i've heard of her yeah so she she cast oh my god she's cast iconic movies like et poltergeist uh, indiana jones and the temple of doom blade runner Scott really really Scott's Blade Runner she cast a lot of Steven Spielberg's movies um a ton of stuff Footloose so she's giving a talk on Saturday through Creative Acting Studios and I have actors from all over the place signed up to hear her chat about the business and basically how to audition for TV and film and what to do and what not to do and, and hopefully give actors advice and tips and encouragement. And it's, you know, I mean, the reason why I decided to set this up was, you know, to, for many reasons, actually, uh, during the lockdown, because I had this idea and I thought this is a great sort of gateway for me to be involved in the industry. And I'm giving actors access to these wonderful artistic creatives I knew it was going to keep me busy and it has kept me very, very busy. Um, and I can only see it growing, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, but I'm, it's an inspirational thing. It's an educational platform and I can only hope it helps really, you know. Wow. That's really good. And it's a great initiative. And I think like something you mentioned there earlier that, you know, when someone says to you, oh, why don't you go to London and you went to New York? But actors kind of had to do that. And you could go to another city and maybe not have an agent there or, or find it hard to get work. But maybe if we have more casting roles online and, you know, you can be in Dublin, but can because, you you know, in L.A., there's the famous, you know, pilot season and the, the and as well, and even the pitching season for producers and screenwriters. So it will be great if we can do more of these things with less cost, even like, for example, you know, you can be in Dublin or in London and, um, you know, cast or audition for roles in L.A. without having yeah. to go to L.A., which would be a great thing. Yeah, no? I mean, I think, you know. Because of COVID, you know, Zoom was such a huge part of our lives and it is here to stay. You know, it is a legitimate way of communicating. It's a legitimate way of learning. You know, we, we're we still on Zoom, you know, having meetings with, with people in LA and you're doing auditions or just general chit chats. And you're on, I'm, after this, I'm meeting with a casting director that is possibly going to work for creative acting studios and I'm meeting her on zoom. So, and to think that there are actors around the world, around the globe that have access to these people here is wonderful. You know, 
there are a lot of young actors in Ireland or the UK or anywhere else, and they would love the opportunity to to train with a, a well acclaimed coach in Los Angeles. So I'm giving this to them. You know, I'm giving them the opportunity. They have access through creative acting studios. They don't need to get on a flight and be here and make things work. They can just study within the comfort of their own home and work yeah. with creatives around the U.S., you know, um, all online. And then, yes, you know, casting directors are always on the lookout for people. And they may find somebody that is very uh, compelling and suitable for a role or something and and they will keep in touch with them or they will just kind of say let's you know get connected here and and um we'd love to see you for this part or whatever the case may be you know um but it is purely more of an educational inspirational platform and i will have um lots of other different coaches you know writers directors producers um casting directors and acting coaches all different uh, types of creatives working on it hopefully yeah that's i think it's a really good initiative because it opens the doors up and like you said if someone can't travel or even if somebody is thinking about going to la and maybe this will introduce them to that world without mm-hmm. you know we don't want someone to go and to fall foul of you know the industry in such a way that they end up homeless on the streets so this is kind of a way for them to see how the whole system works yeah from the where their own base without like because you know a lot of people in the past used to make the trip and they would arrive in la with a few hundred dollars and try and get a job waitressing and so on and then find out the hard, hard way there was like thousands of people looking for the same opportunity so at least this way they can get a bit of training maybe network a little and before they decide to make that journey no exactly and uh, the thing is when you do land in these cities and you try to embark on a career you know within the acting world the first thing people tell you to do is go study, go take a class, be involved in a class and, and start working on, on material with, with an amazing coach and be amongst your peers and start mixing in that way. Um, and that is the first thing they tell you. But yes, you know, this is this is giving them access of this, you know, while they're at home. Um, so it is hopefully a wonderful opportunity for them. And I had a workshop recently and I'm facilitating this while the actors are working with the coaches. I had a wonderful experience watching these actors. Um, and it's funny because not only is am I, I mean, this is my business and this is what I'm doing, you know, as well as, as working on set and doing all my other bits and pieces, but I'm watching these actors work with these incredible creatives. Not only am I learning by watching them, but they're experiencing this exhilarating, you know, phenomenal moment with this coach. And when the coach is reworking with them and they are within their transformative stage and their minds are blown, they've had, you know, a, a, a phenomenal experience. And you can see that. And they're so thankful, you know, like I've had countless emails from these actors saying you know thank you this was incredible you know that i actually experienced this with so and so and uh can you send me the tape i want to watch it i need to see it i want to you know wow that's really good and i mean fair fair play to you that's a great initiative and you know look at looking forward to the 
the future for you and you know with with projects and everything have you is there new projects in the pipeline or are you kind of looking for new things at the moment listen as an actor you're always looking for new things aren't you um i was uh i was in ireland recently and i worked on a film called skylark uh, so okay. i believe that will be out in the new year um I just launched Creative Acting Studios, which is keeping me incredibly busy. And I have a few people lined up already for this, the end of the year and the start of 2022. Then I'm entering pilot season. So I will be, you know, I'll be auditioning a ton, hopefully, fingers crossed. But it's kind of like, I mean, everything that I've experienced and everything that I have done up to date, I've learned so much that I can only hope that my my best role is yet to come. So I'm really just looking forward to the future. And I have the time now. My kids are in school. Yeah. Well, that's it. And and you use it, I mean, as well as you can, because, mm. you know, obviously now whatever happens with COVID and the film industry, you know, if it opens up or closes down, at least now maybe this, you know, second, third wave, whatever it is, now people have a better idea how to work through it and and to do online casting and to do, you know, uh, like more closed sets and shoots. So hopefully it won't affect the industry too much. And hopefully, I mean, for you, I, I hope there's great things coming. And, and as you said, that, that next pilot season could be the launch of something amazing, you know, and like, I think looking back over your career, you know, you've had some great roles and, and I know you've, as you say yourself, there's been some short roles and, you know, whatever, but that's all part of the journey. And I think those things that you're in that you might think, okay, you know, at the time it's not much, but it always leads to something great. And, you know, right now looking through your CV, it's very varied. And I think great things are going to come for you, you know. Thank you. Well, I'm excited for uh, the release of It's Sunny in Philadelphia because... Uh, yeah, that will be interesting. Well, it, listen, it's an Irish episode. Colin Meany is brilliant in it. And the storyline is hilarious. Um, so yeah, I saw that. I saw it. I actually was looking at, they had kind of a trailer online mm -hmm. and it showed, and I was trying, I was, I was looking and I was thinking, are they in Ireland or is it like green screen or is it a close, so, well, you know, I wasn't sure, but I saw Colomini in it and I saw them like go, you know, talking to the, trying to it, the Irishness of it. So I was thinking that's really interesting. And I was thinking, is that out yet or can I see it? But it's not out, is it? It's not out yet. No, there was, I was driving through Beverly Hills the other night and there's a massive poster with the, with with the uh, the cast in their Irish, you know, the Irish gear, um, and it's uh, you'll see it, I'm sure, very soon. It's not out yet, um, but it will be out. It starts the 15th season, I believe, starts the second week of January, um, or it's actually, you know, what I need to I need to get confirmation with that. I think it's actually the end of December. It starts fifteenth uh, okay. uh, season, yeah. But the the poster for the fifteenth season, they're all in their sort of leprechaun gear, you know. Um, they're, really, they're, they're really pushing the Irish, the Irish uh, episode. The stereotypical yeah. thing, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. They're funny. Wow. Well, well, listen, you know, Sanya, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I mean, thanks for sharing your your life so far with us and your story and you know we we really enjoyed it and uh I, I know the listeners are going to love it and you know 
there's a lot more to come from you, I guess. And, you know, we'll have you on the show again sometime with more interesting stories about the acting world, L.A. world and, you know, the whole Macari dynasty. <laughs> I'd love that. Thank you so much. So thank you so much. And we wish you the best of luck with everything. Thank you, Simon. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Sonia Macari, everyone. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Sanya. I really enjoyed that interview, and thank you for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on. Um, some interesting stories about your own life and Colin's life as well with you, and uh, we wish you all the best for you know the next year ahead and so so on and so forth for you, and you've had a successful career so far, and we just can see it growing and growing. So we wish you all the best, and thank you once again. Okay, everybody, it was a pleasure having you on the show with us this evening, and we hope you love the guests we're having, and we're going to have plenty of more interesting and varied guests over the rest of the season. Once again, I'd just like to ask you to please follow the show, please subscribe, and you can leave a review as well if you'd like. We wouldn't mind doing that if you like the show. And if you have any requests for any guests you'd like us to have on the show, please drop us a line, give us a message on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. We're everywhere. We're all over the place, and we appreciate you being here with us too. So... Once again, look after yourself, look after all your family, and take care till the next time. My name is Simon Kay. Bye-bye.